Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel according to Luke, the third chapter. I will be reading for your hearing the 21st and the 22nd verse. That's again the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 3, and I am reading the 21st and the 22nd verse. Hear ye the word of the Lord. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. God's word for God's people, and God's people said amen. amen. You may be seated. We're going to spend a little time talking about the start of something good. The start of something good. I've said it before, you know, dealing with um, people in music, the music industry and the entertainment industry as a whole, that usually the beginning of something is how you determine, a lot of people who make those decisions determine whether or not it's going to be good. Uh, you may have a movie that lasts two hours, but the audition for the people to play in the movie may only be 10 or 15 minutes. You have music executives that listen to songs that may be three or four minutes long, but they know if the song's going to be any good or not by the first 12 to 30 seconds. How something starts is very important, and what is about to happen in uh, the reading is the start of something very good. It's the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Uh, in the Gospel according to Luke, the first couple chapters don't actually start with Jesus, it starts with John. John is uh, starting his ministry and he's being, he's preparing his way for something good. Uh, he's out in the wilderness, as it says, uh, it's written in the book of Isaiah, the voice of the prophet, that he's the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight, because every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough way smooth, and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. So the, uh, John the Baptist is out in the first chapter, if you read uh, chapter 3 of verse Luke, and first, first, second, and third chapters, rather, you'll see his ministry prepared, and that's what he does. He comes around as a believer, and he doesn't wear what the average people wear. He does not talk the way the average people talk. He does not eat what the average people eat, but he has a message, and his message is somebody is coming. And this somebody is coming, and because this somebody is coming, you need to repent. And he preaches what some scholars have called the gospel of repentance, and repentance is more than just changing your mind. It is a psychological term at the root word of the Greek word for it, but it's changing your, not just changing your mind, but changing the way you think about it. I can change my mind if I decide that I want a fish sandwich, I can change my mind and get a hamburger. That's changing your mind. But when you change the way you think, you change the way you think about that whole food in general. You don't just want it that one time. You don't want it anymore at all. It's about changing your entire living. And you're thinking about that thing. And this gospel of repentance, the way that he was 
taking care of, of this gospel of repentance and the way that he was getting new people involved in listening to this gospel of repentance as he was baptizing them. And this baptism, when people came, because people came from all over to see, we'll do that from time to time. We may not be interested in something. We may not be interested in making a full commitment to something, but we'll go see what's going on. And so John had all kind of people, if you go back into Luke and you're reading, he had all kind of people coming around to see what it was, and some of them were not very well received. It's in your Bible. He called them a brood of vipers. Some of y'all are just here for the show. Some of y'all are just here to see what's going on, but that's not what I'm about. And John, obviously, if you read about uh, John the Baptist, he didn't really care who he talked to or what he talked about. If God told him to say it, he said it. It cost him his life. As a matter of fact, just before I read in your hearing, you'd actually read that he got arrested for speaking against the rulers over that area. But that is what a prophet is supposed to do. A prophet is supposed to speak truth to power because they have a greater power than the person that they're speaking to. There's no power greater than God. So why would you be scared of a man that was elected by people or appointed by a king or anybody like that when you have the power of God working for you? So John was getting everything started. And that was the gospel of repentance. And so there were people, read in verse uh, 15, it says, Now that the people were in expectation, they reasoned their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. Some people thought that John the Baptist was the Messiah, they were looking for a savior. Now, this isn't the first time that the people of God during this time had gotten confused about the Messiah and who the Messiah was, but they were in trouble. They were oppressed. They were enslaved in some instances. And so when you are treated as a second class citizen, oftentimes when your back is against the wall, you are looking for help and you don't care where that help comes from. When you are hungry, you are not particular about what kind of food you need. You will take what will feed you. When you are out of a job, you are not particular about how you're going to get that money. You may One job you might have thought you was too good for when you really need a job, you'll go ahead and do that. And so they did this. They, they, they had these speculations, if you will, about who the Messiah was because there were plenty of people beforehand that they thought were the Messiah because they were looking for help and I, can, I can't blame them for that. When you are in trouble, you look for help from wherever it comes, amen? And so there was confusion. These people thought that this man coming around, dipping people in water and telling them to get right and do better about their lives was the Messiah. There was confusion. But the response to confusion is clarification. Let the church say clarification. Clarification. John cleared that up real quick. In 15, verse 15, they were asking, they thought he was the Messiah. In 16, he says real quick, "Uh, no, I am not the Messiah. It says, John answered to all. He said, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, and the chaff he will burn with an 
unquenchable fire. Some translations and, and other times when this story happens says that he's not even worthy to tie this person's sandals. John is, first off, John is speaking to all. The text says that all reasoned in their heart. And then John spoke to all. And I like seeing that. I like seeing that because that means Jesus is for all. It didn't say that John was speaking to a handful of people, a select few. Everybody that wants to get to know Jesus can get to know Jesus. There's no way, there's no prevention. They don't care where you came from, what you've done, who you are, who your parents are. Jesus, grace is for all. It doesn't matter what family you was born into. It doesn't matter how much money you make on a job. Jesus is for all. Now, it's still up to you to accept it. That don't mean everybody is going to get Jesus. But everybody that wants Jesus is welcome to have him. Amen? So we don't kick people out. We're willing to get people in. If they don't come in, that's their choice. We're not removing them from it. God's grace is for all. Even the people we don't think God's grace is for. But we don't have a heaven or a hell to put anybody else in. Amen? Neither one. I don't know about you, but I don't spend any extra time at the pearly gate saying yes, yes, no, yes, going back. No, no, that's not that. That's not my job. So they all reasoned in their hearts and John told all. So I like that he provided that clarification. Number one, he's not the Messiah. But number two, he's coming and he's coming for everybody. Now, what happens when he gets here is on you. But he's coming for everybody. And then he says in some instances that he is not worthy to untie his sandal. It's an interesting phrase right there because when in those days when the rabbis wanted to teach students, they did not pay exorbitant tuition fees like I'm paying at, sorry. Um, education was free. But you still had to do work for said rabbi. So if you were under a particular rabbi and that rabbi was teaching you, if you were a disciple of that person, which means student, if you were a student of that teacher, you went to work for them, taking care of their deeds. But they never asked one of their students to untie their shoes or tie their shoes. They did that themselves. That was considered lowly. They wouldn't even ask slaves to tie another person's shoes. And so when, G when John is saying that he's not worthy to untie or tie Jesus' sandals, he's saying he's not even worthy to be less than a slave when he's compared to Jesus. Because that's, that, that's what that phrase means, is he's not even worthy to be beneath, beneath a student, beneath a slave. He's not even worthy to be beneath a slave. That's how much greater Jesus is than John, amen? And then he says that this baptism is coming with fire. I'm always interested in that word fire, especially when I see it in the Bible. Because fire will change some things. If you get touched by fire, you might say some things you don't normally say. If you get touched by fire, you might move a whole lot faster than you would if you was not touched by fire. That's why I like when they say, you know, when you are going through a little change, when you're going through some changes or you're going through a struggle, they say that they are applying some heat to you. 
because it changes how you feel about these things. That heat will change your mind. And so when Jesus is coming, not only is he coming, he's coming with fire. This is not just the water. It's the start of something good, but it's the start of someone coming with this fire. It's a purifying work of the spirit. Anytime you need to purify something, you got to heat it up. Unclean water. what, What are we supposed to do with unclean water? Boil it. I dare anyone to go to a store and eat the chicken out of the freezer without applying heat to it. It will hurt you, but that heat will take it off. Fire changes things. And so if fire changes things in the natural, how much more could fire change in the supernatural? It's purifying. Even when we make jewelry, the jewelry has to be heated up. And that makes all the impurities rise to the top and then it's scraped off. Fire changes things. Then it says that when he talks about it, he says that the repentant will receive the work of the spirit while the unrepentant will receive that fire. And so we have this fire and we have this purifying work and then not only do we have that but we have the wind because he says that the Holy Spirit is coming the Greek word for spirit is also wind we should know about wind wind can be good wind can be bad you get a little cool breeze going while it's hot you want that wind but if you want the, but you don't want that wind that comes off of a hurricane. So it's this wind that is coming and it's here to purify us. It's also when he talks about this in this text, it's also a symbol for judgment. Because he talks about this winnowing fork. And the winnowing fork is used to throw the harvesting grain harvested, sorry, grain into the wind. And when you throw it into the wind, the wheat kind of separates from the chaff. And then it goes to the threshing floor where it has to be beat. The husk has to be beat off. So this is a process that you have to go through. And he's letting us know that that is what's going to happen. There's going to be some heat. There's going to be some wind. There's going to be some separation of the elements. Those of us who we thought we had going on, those of us, those of us who, those of those people who we thought were coming with us may not be coming with us. They may not be able to take the heat. They may not be able to take the fork. They may not be able to take the wind. But it's not bad because we will still be with Jesus. They they may not be with us, but we will be with Jesus. So we have this clarification. I'm not the Messiah, says John the Baptist. The Messiah is coming, and he's coming with a process to separate us and mold us and make us and beat off the edges and take some of us into the barn and those of us who don't go into the barn will get burned. It's a process. And that process will separate the wheat from the chaff. And then, after all of that, off of that, after all of speaking that truth to power, after all of that calling these people who came to see the show 
a brood of vipers and after baptizing some and then letting them know that somebody is coming behind me that is way greater than I, we actually have the baptism. John was baptizing the converts of Israel during this time, but he goes from baptizing the converts of Israel to baptizing Christ. Big old $5 phrase I've learned going to school is called the criterion of embarrassment. There are some people that are looking for uh, what they call the historical Jesus. And so they sit there and they take different scriptures and different books and different historical documents and piece them together to try to see what they believe would be fantasy versus what they would believe to be reality when it comes to Jesus. Uh, and one of those things that they do is it's called the criterion of embarrassment. And they feel like if they see the criterion of embarrassment, basically meaning if there is something that went on that would have been embarrassing for the all-powerful son of God to go through, it probably happened if multiple people said it. And that, that would make it more true. And one of the things that was the criterion of embarrassment is the fact that he got baptized by somebody lesser than him. Jesus was baptized by John, and they said it in multiple Gospels. And so those who were on the quote-unquote quest for his, the historical Jesus bring up the fact that if this King of kings and Lord of lords, this person whose name that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, the one who was in the beginning because he was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, if somebody this all-powerful would allow himself to be baptized by his cousin who's supposed to be lesser than him, then obviously it happened. Criterion of embarrassment. And so I find it interesting that John is baptizing Jesus, but I don't focus on the fact that John baptized Jesus other than that part. Why? Because in the act of baptism, you're not doing the work. What does that mean? That means, yes, you can make the decision to serve Jesus, give your life to Christ. You can make the decision to do that, but you don't save yourself. The actual saving, the actual power comes from God accepting that. You can make the decision, but you're not the power behind it. You're not what they would call the primary actor. Yes, somebody is dipping you down in the water, but they're just there. That's a tool. They're just there. They're not the person saving you. Jesus is saving you. So it's, it's nice to focus on the fact that John did the baptism. And I guess it's nice if you searching for the historical Jesus to put the, these big old $5 phrases in and talk about all this. But that is not who's doing the work. They're just there. God does the work. You just say yes to God's work. So we have this, 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 this baptism that's going on, and uh, it's the start of something good, again, as I say. And I say that it's the start of something good as well because that's where we have uh, some people use as the grounds for our trinity because the Holy Spirit descends upon God, descends upon Jesus like a dove, and then the skies open up. And, the God, and God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So you got all three of them right there in the text. 
it's the start of something good. And I say it's the start of something good as well because Luke doesn't really talk that much about the Holy Spirit in the text. But I would say he doesn't need to because he's there at the beginning. And when something is there at the beginning, the way you start is the way you finish. And I wouldn't expect to hear more about the Holy Spirit throughout the gospel according to Luke unless I was hearing that the Holy Spirit was leaving. The Holy Spirit is there. They're present. They're there for the, the deal. And just because we don't see it operating or we don't have it operating the way that we want it to operate does not mean it is not there. It's there at the beginning and it's there with them to the end. It's the Holy Spirit. And it will be there for the rest of the way. And then if there was any confusion that had not been cleared up when John said, I am not the Messiah, you hear it straight from the horse's mouth. God himself opens up the heavens and says, this is my son, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So if you had any confusion about who Jesus was, there it is. And that begins the start of the ministry, this simple act, this simple start, something that he was willing to do, be baptized by somebody lesser than him. There are plenty of other things that, that could fit into the criterion of embarrassment, uh, being treated like a normal criminal, being mocked, being beaten, being dragged upon display. These are things that are not supposed to happen to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but he did it for us. And it got started here. This set everything in motion. He came to save us. He was prophesied to be born of a virgin, and he was. He was prophesied to heal the sick and raise the dead and open up blinded eyes and set the captives free and declare the acceptable year of the Lord, and he did it. He came out of the blocks with his baptism and ran the race. He did everything that he was supposed to do. But everything that he was supposed to do started here with the beginning of his ministry. It started way before, before we were even thought of, but here his earthly ministry gets off with his baptism. And because it got off right, it finished right. Because it got off right, he was able to go to Calvary. Because it got off right, he was able to sit, he was able to be crucified, died, and buried. And because it got off right, he was able to rise up from the dead three days later with all power in his hand. And because it got off right, not only is that the end of the story, but he's coming back again. And those of us who choose to believe in him, those of us who decide to start off right with ourselves, are able to be saved. And the great news is there's no time limit on it. They often say in the adage that the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. But the best time, the second best time to plant a tree is now. So just because you haven't started doesn't mean you cannot start. There's plenty of time to get started now. There's plenty of time to choose Jesus. There's plenty of time to make a decision about the Christ. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.